This is the Speaker for the Living podcast, exploring the depths of human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. My name is Seth Dare. I am here with JJ Genflone, and we're going to talk about fair trade today. The title is, Does Fair Trade Mean Slave-Free? Question mark. I, I love that we decided to phrase it as a question and not a statement, only because as somebody who's very new to sort of the economic side of human trafficking or being sort of concerned with it, I have so many questions about free trade and fair trade and all these other terms that I know nothing about, so I cannot wait. Well, we're also going to weave in one of my favorite topics in the entire world, and that's coffee. I love coffee, like many of you, and I have been involved in a nonprofit coffee shop for a while, although I'm not as involved now, but I was on the board of directors, and I was a barista for a few years, and we had some very notable roasters that we sourced from. We initially worked with Stumptown Coffee out of Portland, and then we worked with Intelligentsia Coffee out of Chicago. Both of them are two notable direct trade roasters, which I'll talk a bit about later. Then we work with Novo in Denver, who did a former direct trade for a while, and now we're working with Huckleberry Roasters. I say we, even though I'm not that involved with them anymore, but I do frequent them and have good friends who are working there. And uh, I also spent last summer doing research at Verite, who works with corporations and their supply chains and does a lot of good research. And I spent the whole summer researching coffee, which was wonderful. (laughs) And I'm sure helped so much with your coffee obsession in terms of getting you to stop. No, I I come from a not as passionate or loving relationship with coffee as you do. I too, like so many, was a barista graduate day, so four solid years. Uh, When I lived in China, I have gone so far as to walk an hour in one way to get access to coffee when tea just isn't going to cut it anymore. Uh, But now that I am a a graduate student and I find that coffee is not so much part of my day that I sit and enjoy, relax, that's more of a tea thing for me. I mean, we Mm -hmm. can talk about fair trade realities of tea. But coffee is a necessity. It is a it is a vital part, <laughs> sort of, of my getting things done. This, uh, and I tend, like so many grad students, the what determines whether or not I buy coffee is how cheap it is. I will always go for the cheapest option at the cheapest big box retailer. So I'm I'm a little worried that today is going to ruin me, son. <laughs> and I'm no longer going to be comfortable buying, you know, the cheapest thing at Walmart, you're going to screw up my budget. Well, and I have the personal dilemma of really valuing quality. Yeah. There's that quality thing, and then there's the, how are the workers and producers treated? I did differentiate those two for a reason, but we'll start with fair trade, which I've also done quite a bit of research on in order to understand coffee because they're very intertwined. Part of that was because 
back in the 80s, most notably with the Union of Indigenous Communities of the Isthmus region in Mexico. They started a co cooperative, and this was a, a something where they did it themselves in order to have access to buying power and to be able to pool their, their efforts to get better prices. It was partially an economic thing that yeah. you know, coffee tend to be price takers, and that's still largely the case. So you, you have more leverage. Not to, not to interject with you really quickly, Seth, but what, what is a price taker? I'm not, I'm not familiar with any of this language. In terms of economics... A price taker is somebody who really doesn't have much leverage and has to accept the price given to them in the market. So Walmart is the exact opposite of a price taker. They, in fact, make others take their price where they say, you give us a lower price or this price or we'll go elsewhere. And when you're a poor farmer, then you not only don't have direct access to the market, especially going back into the 80s, but you likely had intermediaries. And these intermediaries may have more access to information. So in order to really make a, a free market work, you have, a, have to have access to information. And it helps to have some leverage so you're not just taking the price that's given to you. With coffee, it's even more complicated because there is a futures market, commodities market primarily in New York, where prices are set in advance. So not only as a farmer do you not have a lot of leverage, but the prices are set in a market. And that is partially why that people decided to form cooperatives and to push the idea of fair trade, which wasn't just about price. They also came together and had certain rules that they could vote on so that farmers would come together in a cooperative. They would have some money that could be applied to social programs. They could perhaps have training or education on how to better make coffee. And when we talk about fair trade, it's not only coffee. Mm -hmm. To consider flow or Fair Trade International, they currently have about 49% of their farmers and workers make coffee. 22% make tea, 11% make cocoa, 4% are cane sugar, 3% are seed cotton, 3% are flowers and plants, such as roses, if you've heard of Fair Trade roses, 1% bananas, and 7% other. So the two largest organizations for Fair Trade are Fair Trade International and Fair Trade USA. Fair Trade USA used to be called Transfair. And when it was called Transfair, it was actually part of Fair Trade International. They decided to go their own way, rebrand as Fair Trade USA, and then extend certification to plantations. Fair Trade has primarily focused, at least in this sphere of the products I just talked about, but especially with coffee, they primarily have focused on smallholder farmers, family farms. Because again, they didn't have a whole lot of leverage. They didn't have a whole lot of access to markets or access to pricing. And so this served a real useful purpose for them. And it's pretty central to fair trade. It's been controversial to say the least for Fair Trade USA to extend this to plantations. Now to keep on the major focus... Yeah, I think what I'm what I'm gathering right away is that trying to trace out if something is fair or trade or not is not as easy as just seeing if it has the label that says fair trade. Mm -hmm. Because I'm what I'm what I'm getting from you 
again, is a complete novice in this, is that there are different certifications that people can apply to, and there's not sort of one gold star certification. It's confusing for people. And then there are a couple others that you may or may not have heard of. There is the Rainforest Alliance, who is certified by the Sustainable Agriculture Network. So there's Mm -hmm. them. And they will actually certify individual farms and not just cooperatives. And then there's UTS, which is another popular one. But then sometimes they have their own certifying way of doing things, which is the way Starbucks has moved to where instead of using the fair trade certification, which has cost, they do it themselves, but then you don't have the independent certification that way. So there are multiple multiple certifications. I am generally in favor of the fair trade movement, and Mm -hmm. I am generally in favor with the idea of having a certification, the fact that there is some standardization, that there are some inspections. Now, especially libertarians as I've read on Cato and others, they have mantras like, the only fair trade is free trade. Well, as I've already mentioned with the problem of price taking in the sea market, like I question whether there actually is a free market that applies to this in existence to begin with. So having a very imperfect system that a lot of small farmers are involved in, where the idea of free trade and the fact that governments can distort marketplaces. That's true. But as we even see in the U.S. right now, where we had uh, candidate Trump say, well, we want fair trade because even Americans don't like having to move when the jobs disappear. Exactly. And when you have farmers in coffee and and otherwise who've been doing this uh, generationally, this has been something some people have been doing for a long time. And so it's not just an economic thing. It's a family thing and maybe a cultural thing in the region. And so just changing isn't always easy. So there's that. And ultimately, one of the foundational things that fair trade does is provide a price floor. So going back a generation, there used to be an international coffee agreement that set prices that went away around 1989 because the U.S. pulled out. Vietnam, the government of Vietnam decided we're going to make coffee a thing. And so then they they pushed coffee and then the market flooded and there was too much coffee and the price of coffee went down to around 50 cents a pound for the producer. That was below the cost of production. And so fair trade, especially at that point, and you can see reports by Oxfam and others, fair trade was a way to say, we're going to help you survive and provide a price floor and provide some ways for you to congregate together and share information and resources to better yourself so you you can survive the the times in the volatile coffee market because it is a volatile market and again they don't have a whole lot of control over pricing because it's set on a commodities market okay following you so far i feel a little bit like i've gone back to like econ 101 class and Mm -hmm. i will admit i don't like it (laughs) but um, i'm picking up what you're putting down So fair trade is really one of the only certifications that vets the trade process, not so much the product, but the process. And that's something really notable is even though you see fair trade in specialty coffee shops, fair trade is not necessarily specialty coffee. What I would define as specialty coffee is coffee where the quality is improved. So more like what I would label like boutique type coffee. 
right. like something something that has something unique about it that makes it warrant sort of like a higher price point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, they're gonna think of it. The, the beans are gonna be high quality. The green beans, where it's freshly roasted, so within a couple weeks. And those are two real keys. I have a home roaster, and I buy green beans from Sweet Maria's, and so I'm familiar with that process myself. So th- those those are keys to to raise the quality, and it goes back to how you take care of your plants over a gener- generation. So you, you have your plant and then you get seeds from it coffee is a seed and then you keep doing that over and over again which is how wine vines have increased over the years but because wine typically is vertically integrated meaning a farm does everything they go and they have the vines and then they they make the wine there they bottle it there and then they sell it and so they're able to keep a lot of the costs there whereas with coffee you know fair trade coffee is about the current price floor is about a dollar forty a pound, mm-hmm. and so when you think about fair trade, you're not giving them a bonanza of money. They're getting a dollar forty a pound for the coffee yeah. that you're paying eight to twenty dollars a pound for. I'm kind of shocked how small that margin then is because I I'm I'm guessing does that count like is that net after like sort of the transportation costs. Or is that just what you get per pound and then they have to transport it? Because I'm thinking that that is also going to be an extremely expensive thing, right? Because it's a food product. My understanding is that's the gate cost when they hand it over. And then from there, the exporter will take care of it. There can potentially, and even this is simple, there could potentially be the farmer, some sort of exporter, some sort of importer. So Sweet Maria's would be one importer. And then the retail shop. Let's see. In this case, it would have to go to a roaster next. Uh, somebody like Intelligentsia, they would be, they could go direct, which is what partially what direct trade does is they go direct to a producer. It could go to an importer. It could go to a roaster. That roaster may or may not be the coffee shop. The roaster gets some of that value. And then the coffee shop tends to get most of the value. So in other words, if once you're paying $3 for a cup of coffee or $4 for a cup of coffee or latte, <laughs> the majority of that money is going to the retail store or to the roaster, not to the producer who makes the coffee in the first place. But that's partially because they're farming the green beans. They're not roasting it or serving it. Okay. So is that why I think when I've, you're speaking anecdotally, when I've had friends who are Peace Corps volunteers who are in countries that are like primary coffee creators, one of the things that they're doing is trying to start up like roasteries and things like Mm -hmm. that. Is that the reason why sort of this idea that if we give sort of the machinery and to the farmer we automatically sort of take out this level of exploitation through middlemen, middlemen rather. Also, I don't know if roasteries is a thing, but it's going to be my turn. It is. Well, in terms of exploitation, I mean, Marx likes to use that term for anything where there's excess value, but you're not going to get as much value out of it if you're just the farmer, especially if you're a commodity farmer. The farther up the chain you work, the more control you have, the more you can charge for your product. And there are some groups that do that. I think Thrive would be one of them, Thrive Farmers. But yeah, and that, and that's a cool model. Lots of directions we could go. What are your questions right now, JJ? I, I am still perplexed at this diff- 
difference between free trade, as in F-R-E-E trade, and fair trade, which is F-A-I-R trade. I, how, what, you know, are people choosing to be classified as one over the other? Is it just a default you slide into? And then this third term that I keep coming across when I'm looking at, like, press releases and things is ethically sourced and does that mean it's free or fair trade and just hasn't gone through the labeling process or what like kind of if if i had to make three columns what would be the differences and similarities between these three sort of categories well with free trade one way to think of it is there are commodities and commodity prices don't have a lot of extra value because there doesn't tend to be as much brand associated with it like Mm -hmm. nestle may ultimately have a brand but until it gets there it's not really a brand now there are debates about the merits of free trade i have issues with some of those models because i'm not sure that free trade on a macro level actually exists if any of you Mm -hmm. want to debate me on this feel free (laughs) Send a angry tweet. But when you when you have some entities who have lots of buying power, like because they're monopolies or oligopolies, monopoly is generally a single one who, who has lots of control on the market. Oligopoly is when you have three or four major companies. You can see this in shoes. You can see this in retail grocery stores where its entry into the market is not closed, but where you have a small group of companies that exert a lot of influence and a lot of influence on setting prices that other groups don't have. And so when you have that, I can question, well, free trade, but really it's not truly free because some people have more power and some people can decide how ethical they want to be in exerting that power. But free trade with coffee, is there really free trade? It's more with this that there is things that fall under a fair trade certification And then everything else, which people loosely will call free trade, even though we can debate how much free trade there really is. With fair trade, if it has, if it's gone through the process, so if we have a cooperative, since it's often a cooperative, so with Fair Trade International, they might go through an application process and then they'll they'll be inspected. Usually it is two times... In th- within three years with possible other inspections happening without you expecting it. And those will usually be a few days. Some of the other issues are these farms that they will be fair trade certified. But then according to Fair Trade International, 40% of all fair trade organizations sold more than half of their certified crop as fair trade in 2013, 2014. With coffee, that means 28% of their coffee was sold as fair trade. Now, because okay. this might be hard to follow, means 80% was not. That means they are fair trade certified, but that 72% of their coffee of fair trade certified farms within Fair Trade International sell it on the commodity market or not at all. So even though we have this fair trade thing, only 28% and sometimes as high as about 34, 35% if we look back at prior years is sold at fair trade. Why? Well, among other things, we can question the demand. 
is there enough demand for coffee that has a fair trade certification? Mm -hmm. And that is one criticism. And, and these are official statistics. This is from Fairtrade International. So that's one issue if this is going to go forward that needs to be addressed. Like if we're going to have fair trade coffee, then why is not more coffee from these farms sold as fair trade? Is there just simply not enough demand? And this is where you can look and say with Fairtrade USA that if they're going to certify plantations, does that then mean that that family farms are going to be able to sell less as fair trade because plantations are going to sell more? It, it also just ultimately comes down to what is fair trade doing? How much of a problem is it solving? And my biggest criticism of fair trade is their marketing and the messages they allow to get across. So looking at the major labels or the major certifications, now one of these, the Rainforest Alliance, is mm -hmm. more of a eco-social certification. In other words, they're not as concerned about the price part as they are about the eco-social part, you know, the rainforest, how the, the environmental parts of this. So these are certifications of similarities, but they're not exactly the same. They do, however, to their credit, they all require voluntary employment per ILO forced labor convention. They require that, that, uh, these farms don't take workers' passports or other or their documentation, that they have written contracts, that they have fair and timely payment of wages, that they have a minimum wage, that there is no child labor, and that the child labor follows legal rules. Now, when they say child labor, they're not talking about all children working on family farms. They're talking about children to where it either affects their ability to go to school or it affects their health or otherwise they're in danger because, you know, such as working with chemicals. So uh, children working on a farm may be okay. Okay, but that's still a huge... Yeah, I didn't even think about sort of the, the long-term health effects, sort of the concern over that as being a component. Huh. Because I guess, I mean, it's one of those things where we know that there are dangers associated with agricultural work, but I think we tend to limit those concerns to largely being related to things like factory workers or sort of like farm machinery accidents. We don't really think about the side effect of like pesticides or, or that work, which I'm guessing in things grape harvesting or coffee harvesting are probably a big deal. Mm -hmm. hmm. So my, my follow-up question would essentially be what is the, is sort of the added cost associated with fair trade or free trade items when I'm spending more as a consumer? Is that money then being kicked directly to then the farmers and the producers of these items? Or is this something that's going to the corporation itself because they can more listed fair free trade because that tends to, you know, attract a particular type of consumer? Well, it depends. Is it there is a marketing gimmick aspect to it. Mm -hmm. The issue I have, which I might not have said specifically enough, is fair trade is helpful but it does not solve everything. It is not a solution that just because it's fair trade does not mean, oh, right, everybody is treated fairly and has enough money to eat and to live. We're good. I can go home and feel good about myself because I bought fair trade coffee. By all means, mm -hmm. feel good about buying fair trade coffee, but don't think that the problem is solved and that the work is done and that if we just get everybody to have a fair trade seal, 
that all Fun the issues every- are solved because that's not even remotely true. Fair trade is more of a band-aid and especially the main fair trade certifications by providing a price floor. If things get bad, then they have a price floor that can keep them afloat. And if things get better, then often companies will pay them more than the price floor. So it gives them a little bit of security, makes it a little easier to plan. One issue, and I've spent time looking into this and I've looked at research reports, is these certifications do not focus on labor. Now, there are some research reports from people going into the field. There was one in Uganda in 2014 that found out fair trade farmers were better off than those with organic or UTS certifications. A 2005 study found farmers who were part of fair trade cooperatives receive higher average prices and felt more secure in their land tenure. But that's one key right there. The money does not go directly to the farmer. The money goes to the cooperative, and from the cooperative, it goes to the farmer. So it's not even a matter of just trusting one actor. You have to wonder, is the cooperative a good cooperative? So with Fairtrade International and Fairtrade USA, you're working with with cooperatives, not individual producers. Now to get back to the labor part, there was a 2014 study from SOS where they did a lot of research of labor within fair trade cooperative farms in Uganda and Ethiopia and commodity farms. Their result was that manual agricultural wage workers were not better off in wages or working conditions on fair trade farms compared to bigger farms that were not fair trade. This is just a mess, Seth. I thought this was going to fix everything. Because I think so often in in the human trafficking field, we say if we can just get a handle on the economics of things, and by getting a handle on the economics of things, if we mean if we can just find some way to get consumers to be on board, mm-hmm. then everything will be solved. And what this is kind of illuminating for me, which might seem obvious to other people, is just that this is not an easily fixable problem. No. Are, are we ever easily fixable problem on this podcast? Probably not on this podcast, but there's some other podcast where I I bet there are easily fixable problems. So Global Exchange, one of the groups in the fair trade movement, or I'm sorry, Equal Exchange, sorry, Equal Exchange, they responded to this study and they say fair trade as originally designed, ellipses, is a powerful tool to help support and meet the needs of a different but also deserving group of people, millions of small-scale farmers who have come together in democratically managed farmer-owner cooperatives. These farmers are only are often only better, barely better off than the migrant or and temporary workers who were the focus of the SOS study. In fact, these small-scale farmers themselves often seek work on large farms if and when they cannot make an adequate living from their own farms. Fairtrade has demonstrated that it does indeed work as planned in helping these farmers hold on to their farms, improve their livelihoods, and to gain more control over the economic futures. The SOS study also documented the failure of Fairtrade-certified plantations to provide improved standards of living for their workers. Dot, dot, dot. We agree in principle that Fairtrade is the wrong tool to deliver better livelihoods for plantation owners. So Fairtrade was not designed to help farm workers. Who are farm workers? Well, lots 
of cooperatives are coalitions of family farms. That means they're run by family members. However, farms during the harvest often need migrant and temporary workers who may be from other farms or, or may be migrants from other areas for their harvest. Those are farm workers. And they've been the poor stepchild, literally, of this entire discussion. Fair trade, especially with coffee, has not adequately addressed farm workers. And it really hasn't been designed to. There has been some recognition, both with fair trade certifications and with specialty coffee association, that we need to do more about this. And fair trade, when they're dealing with plantations for other products, like bananas, has some ways of dealing with that, where they're thinking, okay, we, need, we know there are hired workers and we need to make sure there are protections. But with their primary product, coffee, that hasn't really been the case. And so I, I do want to note that people are starting to pay attention, and that's great. But when I've researched for any example of any fair trade certification finding instances of slave labor on a on a farm i i have yet to see it it's never been published that i found further based on what i can see of the certification inspection i've seen no evidence that this is a priority for them or that they make an effort in their couple days that they're there to look for indicators of slave labor or to even know whether their inspectors are trained to look for these sorts of things. So it just comes back to, does fair trade mean slave-free? Absolutely not. And if fair trade certification inspectors are doing anything to address this, I'm not seeing it, and they need to do a much better job of actually explaining what they're doing. That does not mean that fair trade does not serve a purpose, but it's really still not doing enough for farm workers, and farm workers are going to be the most subject to exploitation. So that's really the biggest issue with fair trade is it doesn't adequately address slavery, even though it prohibits it. But as we know, just prohibiting it is not enough. Now, you did mention Starbucks. Yeah, so one of the things that I found just kind of doing a base searching is these press releases that various companies put out, particularly in regards to coffee. And, you know, I live directly next door to a, to a Starbucks. I'm interested in this. And so one of the things that they publish is that they have ethical sourcing of cocoa. They want 100% ethically sourced tea by 2020. And that 99% of their coffee is ethically sourced. But then if you dig a little deeper, while they say 99% of their coffee is ethically sourced, they say 8.5% of their coffee is fair trade certified. What's then the difference I have of ethically sourced and fair trade certified? And, and why are they pushing ethically sourced over fair trade certified? Is it just the barrier to entry cost-wise? Is it that fair trade is a bit perhaps out, outdated? Well, Starbucks once said that if there were more fair trade coffee, they would buy it. Although that's a bit disingenuous considering how much market power Starbucks has. What they have done, and you can argue price has a lot to do with this, that if you do this and orchestrate it yourself, you have more control. 
Plus, Starbucks does have a certain quality requirements that fair trade does not necessarily have. Fair trade sometimes does improve coffee because sometimes farms aren't using good practices. And so having to follow certain standards may actually improve their quality, but that's not a focus. So, mm. so there's quality. But they call their one green coffee sourcing standard cafe practices. Cafe, coffee and farm equity. They developed it in partnership with Conservation International, who has multiple reports with Starbucks, and they work through a, a independent third party called SCS Global Services, who does different types of audits. So they do do some good things. They do have indicators, and they do have reports on some of this and some country reports that I've seen. It is, however, within Starbucks control partially. And also, Conservation International works with other mega corporations like ExxonMobil, Shell, Walmart, Chevron, Coca-Cola, Nestle, Monsanto, and Disney. And if you look at their website, you can see some of the specifics of, of what they value, and it's helpful to look at the reports. Mm -hmm. But I come back to the same thing. You know, I, I go to Starbucks... Into specialty coffee, yes, I go to Starbucks too. I like a lot about Starbucks. I like their their branding. I like their atmosphere. I'm glad they're doing this, but I'm sorry, Starbucks. You know, ethically sourced. You're, you're doing some good things, but that also doesn't mean that farm workers are taken care of. It just doesn't. And so again, it becomes partially about marketing, where they're doing good things and they need to be lauded for the good things that they're doing. But this doesn't mean the problem is solved. And so 99 or 100% ethically sourced does not mean that everything is okay on the farm. And it does not mean that there, there are no laborers being exploited on any of these farms. So it's best to look at these as stepping stones. But these certifications, I, I question them because they seem to be okay with letting themselves come across as the solution. Buy this and feel okay. Now, buy this and feel that you're doing something good and you're improving things, but don't stop. And consumers can't stop with the information that it has a fair trade label. Now, this can also go the other direction, that by being called fair trade, then suddenly anything else must be unfair trade. We've had that happen, like at our coffee shop, where when we were doing direct trade, a customer will come up, oh, is your coffee fair trade? No, but we do have a direct trade and, and they've already shut off at that point. Sometimes. Yeah, and, and so I'm wondering now if, if because of that, if there are companies that know that maybe fair trade is the best thing for them, but do it anyway because what sort of a concerned consumer would prefer. It depends. With specialty coffee, not so much. It's one reason that you don't see more fair trade within specialty coffee is again fair trade. Being fair trade does not mean it's good coffee. Fair trade is largely commodity coffee, com commodity quality coffee with a price floor and some benefits. There, there is a social premium as part of that that they get as part of the fair trade arrangement. So they get like 20, 30 cents per pound to apply to upgrades and social programs. But specialty roasters like Intelligentsia, they need quality coffee, and so it's in their interest to work with organizations 
in a country who care about quality or to work directly with farmers. And so that's one of the things people who do direct trade do. And one of the issues with direct trade is direct trade can also be a marketing term. And it means even less because there is no standard process that is followed by everybody who uses the word direct trade. There's not necessarily a third party that certifies everything. It's more of a, a business relationship where some companies like Coffee Collective in Copenhagen, Denmark, who I visited and who has just wonderful, wonderful coffee. They're just really wonderful. They're also one of the forerunners of direct trade. Where to go and they work with the farmers where they help them upgrade and build a long-term relationship as much as they can. Now, that applies some fair trade principles about how you do things. And part of what I would call it is good business, since I come from the school of thought who thinks if you actually care about people and you want everybody better off and you want your producer better off so that they produce better coffee and that they're stable so that business is about relationships. And I'm like, if it isn't, then what, what's the point? And I'm not saying profit doesn't matter. I'm saying it's not the only thing that matters. But sometimes in people's minds, the idea of good business can be penalized because it's not fair trade. But just because you're direct trade doesn't mean you're a business who's doing everything virtuous either. So where do we go? Well, it's recognizing what fair trade does and what it doesn't. Fair trade can be helpful to a farmer, and there's a few reports I'll link where that's the case, where they're in a given region where they're better off. But that doesn't mean there aren't other approaches and that if you build a relationship as a consumer with a given roaster or coffee shop, and if you just do your due diligence with some of these organizations, even ones that do fair trade, like look up the cooperative. Although I've looked at another cooperative and it's really hard online to actually find out which farms are in the cooperative. So that was going to be my other question for you, Seth, since you actually work with sort of supply chain processing or kind of moving back backwards and supply chains. How is sort of the average person like me meant to find out if something is actually certified or not? How do we, because it's not really clear online a lot, particularly I'm thinking of not necessarily with coffee, though I could see how coffee would be related, but from my own sort of process tracing of cosmetic companies, a lot of what seems like smaller separate entities are actually owned by a larger entity. So like Johnson & Johnson owns a bunch of mm -hmm. companies, which includes, I think, L'Oreal and then L'Oreal. Do you know what I mean? So how, how do you begin to parse out what belongs? Well, and it's harder too, as specialty roasters are bought. So like Intelligentsia is now owned by JDE. But they've also hired Michael Sheridan, who's focused a lot on coffee workers. So that would up my opinion of Intelligentsia because I know Michael Sheridan is the real deal. Farm workers has been one of his focuses for a long time. But when you're talking about big companies like Folgers, which is owned by Smuckers, it's very difficult at that point to know anything and to know whether any labels mean anything. But Smuckers puts out such bad sustainability reports. Some of the other major ones, uh, like Nestle, are doing some better work. But it's still really hard when you're talking about a mega corporation. So it's a little easier if you go a little smaller. I think that applies to a lot of things when you're dealing with a mega corporation, multinational, is how transparent are they going to be? But I will say, 
some of these companies recognize that sustainability and some level of transparency is important and they at least have to make some effort. So they mm-hmm. all have some sort of sustainability or corporate s- social responsibility reports that you can look at on their websites and they do provide some level of information. So you can look and you can see that McDonald's actually does better with coffee than you would expect. That's on the big stage. On the smaller stage, you can see what you can find, like Roasters, uh, Bird Rock, for instance. They provide some interesting information with their direct trade reports, such as here's what we're paying per pound for certain coffees, and here's how much above fair trade it is. If it has a fair trade label, then they're fair trade certified. You have to differentiate whether it's a fair trade international label or a fair trade USA label. Mm-hmm. At this point, I would be in the group that is a little bit cynical about fair trade USA because I also don't agree with using the fair trade certification for plantations. I've heard their logic, I just don't buy it. If it's another label, then you really would have to look up the label to see what it means. My default would be it's probably helping the the farmer if it fair trade. Like you you have some hope that it's helping the farmer if it has a fair trade label. Otherwise, you may not know and then you have to talk to the company or see if they have any information online regarding it. Yeah. And that's an opportunity too. To say what are you doing? If you want it to be slave free, well, I don't know. I'm a bit more cynical about this after seeing research. Yeah. One one public report that you can look at is Verite's Guatemala report put out by Quinn Kepis. And the, the number of indicators of potential forced labor after doing farm worker interviews, there's a lot of things that are not desirable and are questionable in situations that could potentially be forced labor. And I say indicators of forced labor because when you see something like their passports taken, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a slave, but it's not a good sign. And when you start putting together different signs, like not getting the minimum wage, maybe not having their health taken care of if they get poisoned or injured, and start to add these up, then it may be a situation where it's forced labor. Part of it, and here's the way I really look at coffee, and here's really what needs to change. Fair trade is good at what it does, but it is not solving the problem of slavery. And the problem of slavery and coffee and some and tea and some of these others is not being solved, largely because people are not looking. And if people go and they say, we have a fair trade certification, or it's 99% ethically sourced, therefore all the laborers, the farm workers specifically, are treated well, then that's a very dangerous territory. What we need to ask is, what are you doing? Do you have a process? And so... That's part of what we were working with, with corporations at Verite, is how can we help them to identify farms or co-ops that they should look into? Like, where, where should they look? Where might there be issues? If you're a consumer, but start by asking, because the more we ask, the more likelihood that corporations will start to prioritize it rather than feel like because they're going through some sort of process or some sort of certification that the problem is then solved. It is kind of disconcerting though. But what I can say is I I have interacted with coffee people 
and heard from yeah. people in these companies. And there are people that care. And so we just need to not, this is ultimately, we need to not think the problem is solved because it is a fair trade certification. That's my main takeaway. I don't know where I'm falling now because I, I kind of thought that how this was going to go is you were going to drop some truth bombs on why I need to just buy fair trade coffee. And it turns out just like with everything, we're kind of ending with a maybe. I I think this might be interesting depending on kind of maybe how listeners respond, but I think it might be helpful maybe in our next podcast for us to branch out and talk about sort of this idea of fair trade versus free trade and exploitative labor in sort of maybe other industries. Uh, in particular, I know that you, you and I talked a little bit briefly about the idea of like cotton. Mm-hmm. Is cotton fair trade or not? And then I, I have a personal interest in sort of cosmetics. They tend to have some sort of history of child labor attached to them. Just because I think when we're talking about human trafficking, generally what we're talking about are things that seem very far away mm-hmm. or things that seem like no valid company would sort of approve them. And what I think is happening, what is far more likely, is it's just that there's the banality of evil exists also in human trafficking, right? Mm-hmm. Where without meaning to, but by focusing on bottom line, we have these big companies who are going for the cheapest product they possibly can get. And, and I, consumers are looking yeah. for the cheapest. Yeah, I mostly they can, they can do not buy fair trade because I think fair trade coffee tends to suck. Uh, there are some that conscious coffee seems to be pretty cool, but largely I buy through companies I trust. So I trust Sweet Maria's and they provide a quality product. And so I get coffee from them. If I were to buy from a major roaster, like uh, you know the current one for Everyday Joe's Coffee House, Huckleberry in Denver, it'd be because I trust them and know that they're making an, an honest effort. And there's something to be said for that in any product. Like if you go and you buy from a farm and you know the people who run it, you tend to feel better about it. But then again, I once bought from a local CSA because I wanted to trust them, and it turned out they had some slave labor in their farm. <sighs> Is the solution to move out to some sort of creepy commune collective in the middle of nowhere and farm, I think, or beans and just live off that in sunshine? Like, what? How do we become just good consumers? Is it possible? Like, I know I'm asking kind of crazy questions here, but, like, what? Can I just start eating my Dr. Bromer shampoo? Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> It's a broken world. That's part of it. I think we have to focus. And so we can't have every product, quote, ethically sourced. And the farther we are from the producers, the less we tend to know. So if I ask my friend Steve, who does woodwork, to make me a desk, I would feel pretty good that he's not going to employ a slave to help him make it. Whereas if I go to Walmart and buy it, it's made somewhere in China, and I can hope it's not made at one of the, the prisons where they have slave labor. So information is really important, and the more distance there is, the more the less information, and that's one of the challenges. But I, I think we have to do what we can, and if something is important to somebody, then find one thing where you can be a good consumer and start there, because otherwise we'll just get overwhelmed and depressed. And if we lose hope, and if we just get pure cynical then we're kind of lost. I think we just ended our podcast on a hopeful note, Seth. Yay! Rebellions are built on hope. Oh, wait, that was Rogue One movie. Never mind. About human trafficking in the film 
industry. Ooh. Ah, film. Also, can we just have a brief moment, really quick, before we sign off? Here's what I'm going to leave you with, everyone, tonight. Not concerns about your coffee. Are stormtroopers trafficked? Can clones consent? Hmm. Hmm. Profound. People probably have opinions on that one. We should do that some night. Here, everyone, let's do some sort of pop culture thing. Can clones consent? Is Dobie really a free elf? Or is Harry Potter a system predicated on chattel slavery? Yeah, what about those poor orcs? Oh, no. Right? That's Lord of the Rings reference, by the way, people. Most of you I probably knew that. If, they, if they're flitting around. All right. Goodbye, everyone. We love you. Be safe. Be happy. Drink your coffee if it makes you happy. But try to be kind to other people, too. Hey, goodbye. Drink coffee that you like. Stay awake. All that. We will be back next week. Bye. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.